Welcome to Digging Deeper, a podcast of the Glendale Road Church of Christ. I'm Stephen Hunter, the preacher at the Glendale Road Church of Christ, and I welcome you. For the past couple of weeks, we've spoken about uh, Bible translations, and we spoke about the earliest translations a couple of weeks ago, and last week spoke about the English Bible. Uh, But today, I want to focus on just one verse, and I guess you could say the headline of this episode is that translation is interpretation. Now, the verse I'm looking at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to give you the NIV reading of it, and I'm also going to give you the New American Standard reading of it, and also my own personal translation. So, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, according to the NIV that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. The same verse in the New American Standard, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So on the one hand, you have control your body, which when I read it like that, it means that I should control myself. And when you look at the broader context, it has to do with avoiding uh, sexual sins. So, beginning, let's see here, okay, yeah, the, the verse right before verse 4, there, you know, verse 3, obviously, 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, and then it goes into verse 4, um, and after verse 4, it says, not with lustful passion, is verse 5, not with lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So, um, the NIV has control your own body. The New American Standard has possess his own vessel, which vessel is often used uh, as, as a euphemism for the body. So, when I translated it, looking at it in Greek, um, I translated it like this. To know each one of you, his own vessel, how to acquire or possess in holiness and honor. Now, the term vessel was often used concerning a wife in antiquity. And the reason she's referred to as a vessel is because she receives the seed of her male counterpart during intercourse. First uh, Peter 3.7, Peter wrote that the husband's should live with their wives in an understanding way, regarding her as the weaker vessel. So since vessel is often used as a receptacle, we see it this way in other passages. Paul was God's chosen vessel, Acts 9.15, and indeed he received the Holy Spirit, Acts 9.17. Believers are vessels meant for honorable use, while unbelievers were for dishonorable use, Romans 9.21. You can also look at 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21. The honorable were receptors of the Holy Spirit like Paul, Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. But the dishonorable were receptors of wrath. Receptors? I should have said recipients. So those grammar teachers out there, uh, I caught myself. Recipients of wrath, Romans 9.23. Now, in antiquity, uh, the husband ruled the wife in ancient Rome. So she was considered his possession. Therefore, proper acquisition demands that the husband avoid passion. Okay, so if I'm understanding 1 Thessalonians 4.4, I will understand it in this way that 
you should know how to acquire and have a wife in holiness and honor. That's the thought. Now, when we think about passion, we're like, well, who would want a passionless marriage? But in those days, passion was the dishonorable loss of self-control. One scholar put it this way, Vices of excess bring shame upon those who commit them. So the active form of decorum referred to a dignified appearance obtained through the control and elimination of all passions, uh, particularly those relevant to drinking alcohol, overeating, and sex. Pleasures overindulged in were seen as filled with passion and ugly, ugly practices. So what exactly was Paul advocating in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4? I believe if you understand it as each person should know how to acquire and have his own wife, because she's the vessel, in holiness and honor, uh, Paul is encouraging men to value women and to regard their wives differently than how Roman society viewed women. So if you're a woman that grew up in the Greco-Roman era, from the moment you were born, you belonged to your father. And then if you married, you belonged to your husband. So, in Paul's ways, and teaching by the Holy Spirit, if the vessel is indeed referring to a wife, and that's how that word is used in some Greek literature, and even in according to Hebrew thought, then that means that the Christians at Thessalonica, they should know how to have a wife in holiness and honor. That's not to be excessive with passion, but it's to regard her as valuable. Maybe even going so far as to see her as equal, as a friend, and sharing a mutual openness with her. Now, this is very counter to the Greco-Roman view. Let me read you a couple of quotes. Demosthenes, writing in the 4th century BC, this is what he writes. For this is what living with a woman as one wife means, to have children by her and to introduce the sons to the members of the clan, and to betroth the daughters to the husbands to husbands as one's own. Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our households. Doesn't sound like women are very much valued there. Either you are bearing children that will inherit the estate and all that goes with it, or you're a mistress or a concubine. Not a very valuable way of viewing women. Epictetus in the first century AD, he wrote, avoid impurity to the utmost of your power before marriage, and if you indulge your passion, let it be done lawfully. But do not be offensive or censorious to those who indulge it, and do not be bringing up your own chastity. So those who had self-control and didn't engage in such sexual immorality, Epictetus says, hey, don't brag about your chastity. That's a word that we don't use much anymore. 
It wasn't unusual for Roman citizens, specifically the males, to have multiple sex, sexual partners, to have homosexual encounters, uh, and engage with temple prostitutes. And one of the defining features of Christianity that made it stand out was the early Christians' refusal to engage in these practices. Let me read you a few quotes. Tertullian, who was a Christian in the third century, he said, One in mind and soul, we do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. All things are common among us but our wives. Another author, Diogenes, he says, Christians share their meals but not their sexual partners. Another one, Aristides, wrote, Christians do not commit adultery nor fornication, and their men keep themselves from every unlawful union. A third, another 3rd century Christian wrote, Among the Persians, a promiscuous association between sons and mothers is allowed. Marriage with sisters are legitimate among the Egyptians and in Athens. Your records and your tragedies, which you both read and hear with pleasure, glory and incests. Thus also you worship incestuous gods, who have intercourse with mothers, with daughters, with sisters. With reason, therefore, is incest frequently detected among you, and is continually permitted. Miserable men, you may even, without knowing it, rush into what is unlawful, since you scatter your lust promiscuously, since you everywhere beget children, since you frequently expose even those who were born at home to the mercy of others. It is inevitable that you must come back to your own children, and stray to your own offspring. Thus you continue the story of incest even although you have no consciousness of your crime. But we, Christians, maintain our modesty not in appearance, but in our heart we gladly abide by the bond of a single marriage. In the desire of procreating, we know either one wife or none at all. So, you go back to 1 Thessalonians 4.4, 4, but let's put it in the broader context. Let's begin with verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That each one of you know, uh, whoops, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, just as we have already told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So if this passage has to do with acquiring a wife and viewing her in a way that she is valuable and not just a, not just a person who's there for your sexual gratification, then you see that Paul is elevating women and telling men how they should view them as well. And it's very different from how Greco-Roman society viewed them. Now, if that is not the correct interpretation, and it's more about possessing your own body, showing self-control and holiness and honor, that's fitting as well. Either way, both could apply, but you see how translation is interpretation, and there's a lot that goes into it. There are many, many other verses in Scripture that have some nuance to them. Sometimes you translate them literally, sometimes you translate the thought, but in the end, you're always interpreting. 
Thankfully, we have learned people who have translated scripture into English over the years so that we can read it in our own common language. And these are some of the issues that they have to grapple with when they translate. And for those of us who have a little bit of knowledge of the process, we, we also see how things can be difficult. So let us thank God that though there may be some things that are difficult to understand, the things that we can understand are rather clear. And where we may be a little confused, you know it's okay. We just do the best we can, follow the Lord with sincerity and with purpose. I hope you've all found this little series enlightening. Probably going to move on to a different topic next uh, next time we meet, but I hope you've had a wonderful July, and we're almost back to school, so get ready.